I hate birds. They're not real. I hate. I like eating birds, and that's it. Oh wow. Okay. I hate birds. Jeez. Period. I mean, I'm a mammals guy. I like my mammals. Uh, amphibians are okay. Reptiles not so great. Birds, meh. Insects, fuck off. Yeah. I'm a mammal man. Okay. I'm a mammal. You man. you give me some fur, mammaries, and live birth, and I will fucking call you friend. And welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 23. In this episode, we are doing The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other. Episode 23. I'm excited about this one. Samesies. Because of the fact, one... It's another Sunday fun day episode. Yes. Uh, we had to delay the recording of this a little bit because somebody in the room had to decide to get a year older. How inconsiderate of them to do so on the day that we normally would record. It's me. It's not you. I, I was kind of leveraging that so that people would why think it was you. Yeah. It's me. I'm old. Er. Yes. TM. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting Sunday fun day episode. And we have a good book uh, to talk about. I think there's going to be a lot to digest uh, from this one. Um, but it's going to be a pretty traditional episode. We're going to tell you a little bit about the author, maybe a little bit more so because I know that he's going to be uh, speaking at a conference that you're going to yeah. be attending, and I know that that was a big portion of why you chose this book. But yep. I'll tell you a little bit about the author. We'll give you a very brief summary, and then we're just going to get into the meat of the book. Uh, we've got some questions that we want to talk about back and forth. Maybe uh, maybe themes, maybe some motifs, some subplots. I don't know if we're gonna get that super deep in depth, but we never know. We'll have we'll have some bits to talk about, and then of course we'll uh, we'll rate it with our patented three tier: four if we're giving it away, five if we're shooting it into a rocket into space. Yes, six if we're shooting it into a rocket in a drill into the earth. Seven if we're shooting it. Into a rock. All right. There's so many rockets that you could shoot. Yeah. So many different. Just shoot at North Korea and then we start a war because of our book. That would be awful. Uh, it um, probably could happen. That probably they, could. They don't but, like literature over like, there. Oh, God. What is this? <laughs> this is not government approved. Um, but yes, our patented rating system. And then we're going to tell you what we got coming on the next episode. Yes. So now is the time where I tell you if you have not read the book, go read the book. That is what book club podcasts are all about. Uh, unless you just like hearing people talk about things that you have no context for. God knows I do. I love that all the time. I, I've listened to one episode of so many podcasts, just like episode 14, just out of no context whatsoever. Just drop in, have a listen, leave forever. Yeah. So if you're doing that for our podcast, please don't. Just stay for the whole thing and listen to all of them. Yeah, exactly. Don't be like me. Well, let's uh, let's talk about Colson Whitehead. Let's do it. Our, our, our writer. So uh, he was born in New York City in 1969. So as of the day of this recording, he is 49 years old, which makes him pretty young for somebody that is as accomplished as, as he is. Uh, he studied at Harvard, uh, which is obviously impressive um, in and of itself. He's written six books uh, to date. Um one of the other books that uh, he's written, I have read, and I've, I mentioned on a previous episode, Zone One. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of this, like, post-zombie apocalypse story. They kind of have this, like, established, uh, like, uh, city uh, with walls and stuff, and they kind of go out with, on patrols and try to clear things and, you know, do whatever. Um, huge departure from what we read for, for this episode uh, interesting concept, but I got to be honest, I didn't love that book. Um, yeah. It was like a New York Times bestseller, which is the reason that I picked it up in the first place. Didn't love it. Didn't love it. I actually donated that book uh, when we start when I had to start making room on my bookshelves for wow. all the all the books that we've been reading. Okay. Uh, but any rate, he uh, he is uh, very very accomplished. Um, so I'm just gonna read some of his like awards and honors uh, because it is is really astounding. So um, he's had a Guggenheim Fellowship in uh, in 2013. Uh, he was a finalist for the Hemingway Foundation Penn Award um, for his book, The in Intuitionist. 
uh, I keep wanting to say The Illusionist just because of the movie. Yeah. Um, he was a finalist for the Pulitzer for uh, his book, John Henry Days. Um, he had uh, L.A. Times Book Prize for the same book. Oh, I'm sorry. He was a finalist uh, for that. Uh, he won a Penn Faulkner Award for fiction for Sag Harbor. Uh, he has won the Hurston Wright Legacy Award several times, or he's been a finalist. Uh, I don't know why I keep screwing that up. Uh, and then for this book, specifically The Underground Railroad, uh, it won the National Book Award in Fiction for 2016, the Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction in 2017, the uh, Booker Prize Longlist um, in 2017, the Arthur C. Clarke Award, which is a sci-fi award. Uh, yeah, which I found interesting. We can talk about it in a sec. Longlisted for the International uh, Dublin Literary Award and the Coup de Gras, the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction uh, for, for 2017. Sure. So yeah. the guy is... Uh, Stacking them up. Ridiculously talented, uh, obviously. I think you see it uh, in this book, uh, but in his other stuff uh, as well. So one of the interesting things that I've been able to do with a few of the last books that yeah. we've read, mostly uh, Gentlemen of Moscow and this, is because they've been published so recently, you know, if you go on YouTube, you can see a lot, like, yep. you know, author does press tours, so there'll be, you know, there'll be like a 15-minute video where he's being interviewed by NPR or by PBS or something. And right. You get, I don't know, I've, I find that really interesting. I like to watch that before I come in here to get a little bit of a feel for the author as a person and just kind of their like outside sort of thoughts like leading into specifically the book but i will say this like yeah he seemed like super mellow and yeah. like very kind of just like down to earth but like very sort of sharp kind of wit um but yeah we were we were talking about the awards a little bit earlier leading into this and there was something else that i had gotten from um watching the interviews too that we'll talk about here in a sec after we do the summary but uh, yeah, the the sci-fi award for this book, which I thought was interesting because, yeah. you know, I'm not sure exactly how that is uh, classified because I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's a sci-fi element in this book. Like there is a physical manifestation of the Underground Railroad, right. which is interesting. And it's kind of like, a, you know, it's a it's more of like magical realism yeah. in a sense sort of interpreted in there. So that that falls more under the idea of like fantasy to me. Science fiction always kind of. I don't know if it's if I'm just sort of automatically associating it with like space and stuff like that, but those always seem more weighted towards like futures or you know dystopian societies or technology and things like sure. that. So yep. it was interesting. I, I I would be interested to see what the umbrella of science fiction sort of quantifies because the name itself to me would infer that it's like fiction based on sort of future science or, or yeah. progression in the idea of science. And so the idea of this sort of magical realism injected into this story of, uh, you know, slavery uh, in the in the U.S., it seems odd to include for science fiction. But, you know, he got the award. So what the hell do I know, right? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I f it does feel a bit like a uh, sort of appropriation to call this like science fiction just because like I I'm with you. It did. It didn't feel like science fiction. And maybe that's just my own like lacking like definition of in my brain of what science fiction actually is. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have labeled this. But if it if it is, it's best sci fi book I've ever read. Which isn't saying much because <laughs> you're at so two much, now. It's you're so at, much better than you're Asimov. At two and a half. It's or so something? much better. All right. Well, here's the thing: if this counts as science fiction, you have to broaden your scope. You've probably read a lot more science fiction than you realize. That's true. Uh, one last thing before yeah. we move on from uh, from him as a writer, he does have a uh, a new book coming out uh, in July of 2019 called The Nickel Boys. Yeah. And uh, it's about uh, two boys who are basically sentenced to like this hellish reform school in yeah. like Jim Crow uh, America. So oh, another thing I was going to note, and like kind of looking at his his published works, it, it does seem interesting how sort of divergent each of the subject matter in each of his books is. And he talked about that a little bit in, in some of the interviews that I saw that it was kind of just I don't know. It was I, I think it's an interesting approach to to writing to have such a sort of diverse and broad like even just when you look at i guess the the characters that he writes sort of from the point of view of like inexplicably in this i think someone was asking a question like what was his decision behind making uh his protagonist a female by making obviously cora you know a 17 year old girl and he was kind of just like well you know he had written some books with male protagonists and female protagonists and it was kind of just like you know another one to sort of 
get a different experience and he never had he had never written about a sort of a mother daughter experience and he wanted to kind of incorporate that into here so yeah that's cool i respect that well <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to get into this book so let's, let's do just it. let's just dive in um do you want to just start like at the beginning do you where... want a summary real quick Jeez. oh yeah shit just i'm sorry skip it over my part I'm sorry i'm too excited the underground railroad is the story of cora there we go that's the summary. No. <laughs> Underground Road is the story of Cora, an escaped slave attempting to find freedom, learn of what happened to her mother who had escaped before her, evade her pursuing slave catcher, all while utilizing an actual system of underground railroads for escaped slaves. Indeed. Very surface. Yes. So I want to start with with a little anecdote about okay. me like just trying to get into this book. Sure. So I... I usually try to like spread my reading out over the like two weeks between our episodes oh, okay. so that, you know, I've got adequate time to read and like think on everything. Um, and I, I picked this book up um, a couple days after we we recorded the last episode and I started reading. And uh, I mean, within the first few pages encountered the N word. And yeah, I am like just deeply troubled by that word in in anything okay. um and it just like especially when you read it with the hard r at the end like as the you know racist uh you know it, it implication that it that it is like it's just it's so jarring to me and i was exhausted in the first like chapter just trying to like sort of get myself into like not cringing every time i read that yeah and so, yeah, it took me, honestly, a couple of days of, like, rereading that first thing to be like, all right, this is just something you're going to have to deal with. Like, it's because it's not something you encounter very often, you know, in, you know, movies or, or you know, TV. Sure. Certainly. It's something it's it's not something you just kind of stumble on. Right. Like, right. it's something that it's like like this book, you know, going into it, we knew it was about slavery. And so, right. like, I'm going into the book going like, yeah, I'm sure that there's going to be this involved in the dialogue, you know, it's not gonna, we're not gonna, oh, well, we gotta kind of approach the subject with white gloves or anything like that. Like, but, but sometimes it's not. That's, well, I guess sometimes that's the point that I've, sometimes that, it's not, but in, I, in a lot of books and, and movies and stuff, they, they don't use it quite as prevalently as he does in the plantation. I think scene. it's a, I think it's, I think you see it more so now. I mean, like, you know, I'm just trying to think of, you know, recent, I mean, 12 Years a Slave is really the only movie that I can think of like recently yeah. that I've seen within the last decade that's like explicitly kind of an expose on slavery. But yeah, you remember, um, oh God, like just previous stories. Oh, I don't know why I keep thinking of Gone with the Wind. God, like that's some sort of... Well, like uh, Twain does it. Mark Twain does it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, but that was less so, I feel like, to sort of drive home a point and more so just that was just kind of a colloquialism. Yes, it, it, it Whereas was. Whereas this one, I feel like... Yes, it was a okay. Well, this is the this is the representation of like act, the this was the language at the time. But at the right. same point, like in a modern novel, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It does feel a little jarring, but it's not unexpected. At least for me, it wasn't. No, it wasn't like you you see it and you go, okay, cool, yeah. Like this is like I understand that this is here because of the of the subject matter of the book. So right. We're just gonna we're just gonna go on with it. Like I, it's I don't know. It didn't. I wasn't caught off guard because that's usually the things that that kind of kind of have like a profound effect on like my ability to sort of get through things with yeah, reading is yeah. if I'm like caught off guard by something unexpected. And that was not unexpected at all. So I just kind of was like, all right, here we go. Let's just let's get on get on into this. Well, you know, but I, 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 but I get it for sure. Yeah, just because I, I, it is, you know, especially and, and you do more reading than I do. So you obviously have a not anymore. Bit, well, I think we're on an even playing field here. I think, well, historically speaking, so I think you have a little bit more of a library to draw from of just your own kind of like personal, uh, you know, analogies. Yeah, fiction, Because I, I, yeah. I do that all the time when I read, too. Like, every time I encounter something in a book that seems familiar, like, I always try to, like, you know, go through my back catalog in my brain of things yeah. to relate it to. So, Well, the, the reason I bring it up, other than the fact that, you know, I think he wields it to be as unnerving as it should be. Um, Absolutely. This story, this, I mean, it, this, this book doesn't, this book doesn't really pull any punches. No, it doesn't in any all. way language in language in, you know, things that happen within the book in sort of like, 
uh, the feelings that we get from our characters, just the setting at the time. Like, there's no punches pulled in this book. And I, no. I, I can appreciate that because I think, again, I've said it before on the show that I think a fundamental, a fundamental element of reading fiction that you don't really get in nonfiction because in nonfiction, like, you kind of have a subject that you read on is is the opportunity to kind of have that uncomfortable nature in a book, whether it's the subject yeah. matter, matter, whether it's the story, language, or whatever. And this this has a little bit of all of that. Like, yep. this is a an uncomfortable book to read. You know, so you, you get the language, and then certainly you get the, the actions of mm-hmm. um, the Randalls, on the the plantation, yeah, just that, right up, right up, right up front. Yeah, and set, and the, set the tone for brutal. the situation. And I mean, I I understand that because you know the the stakes that are there for Cora if she leaves, like you have to you have to obviously understand you know that motivation beyond just like, well, I don't want to be a slave anymore. I'm going to leave. Yeah. Well, the like repercussions of failing to do that, you yep. know, are death or you know or wishing for that depending on you know the punishment that you receive so right, yeah right. i understand you have to set the stage for this situation that leads someone to do that yep did you did you feel any differently about like your perspective of of like how slaves were treated after after reading this and thinking on it it changed um, my perspective a bit. Did it? I I don't know. I've I've always kind of been morbidly curious yeah. as to the sort of extent and not even just in slavery. I'm talking about, you know, when you look at uh like um Native Americans, when you look at um yep. Pacific Islanders during or not Pacific Islanders, but Japanese during uh World War II, just like there's something like fundamentally <laughs> interesting about sort of and not interesting and like oh i'm like this is exciting but it's just you have a curiosity into the things that are done i guess to to peoples and and you know uniquely american experiences or uniquely american atrocities you know what happens in you know the armenian genocide or whatever it's an interesting thing but it's not necessarily something that like profoundly affects me because i of a, my ethnicity, and B, of my country of origin. Neither For of those sure. things really line up with that, so I don't have sort of a personal connection with that. Like, yeah. Um, but essentially, you know, living in this country, you do kind of have a personal connection with everything that's happened before you or after you or whatever, yeah. even if it's not, you know, super personal in a sense of like, well, my great-grandpappy did this or whatever, but yeah. you have a connection to it nonetheless because it's all part of the, I don't know, greater memory or greater unconsciousness or greater understanding of like your society and your culture and so i always i always am interested to you know kind of brush away and look into the peer into the sort of the darker corners and yeah you see a lot of that and so this wasn't particularly shocking to me in that sense but for someone that doesn't necessarily uh have that same mindset of like actively sort of seeking out that information and knowledge yeah absolutely because i think and in this book you know, we get a lot of it in South Carolina, and we'll yeah. talk about that because I think South Carolina is the most interesting place in this entire book. Yeah, you get a lot of that of the kind of the picture of slavery uh, as sort of a you. You get a lot of things sort of washed over, mm-hmm. and you you kind of generalize a lot of things in a sense of detaching. You know, the people that are taking in that information or detaching. You know, when we're in school, we learn about slavery as kids. You know, you learn right. about the Civil War and you learn about all sorts of these things. And and obviously they're not, you know, highlighting all these gruesome details or all these, you know, horrible things. But you just sort of get this basic general, you know, overview and then it's left at that. And it's very, I don't know, it's very sterile and it doesn't really get to the whole root of like everything and, and everyone that, that's affected and involved and... I think that it's, I don't think that it's necessarily, I don't think that it's necessarily like, oh, super purposefully, we're trying to misrepresent this. I think it's more so this, you, whenever you get into the like nitty gritty and you get into like all these details, it's very hard to sort of like reconcile that in a lot of ways. And like, especially people tend to not want to they tend to not seek out things that make them feel bad for sure. the most part yeah um and so again that's why i think that this is an important read because i do think it's important to try to be uncomfortable to try to look at things and say okay well 
geez, this was awful. And yeah, you know, how, how exactly do these sorts of things manifest and how exactly does this affect you as a human being now? And how exactly does this affect you as a human being in regards to the way that you go about your life? And, and even if it's not like a direct correlation, like, well, I'm never going to have a slave. Well, obviously no (laughs) shit, but it correlates in other ways of your attitude towards, you know, uh, or, or just your attitude or interpretation of, of things in society can be tinged in a different way yep. when you kind of look at it with eyes that uh, see a little bit more detail in these in these past experiences. And, you know, that's, I don't know, I think that's super important. Yeah, you know, so the, the point that I was going to make is, like, you sort of know and you're taught in school, right, that, like, slavery is bad. Sure. And, like, that sort of, like, mantra in my head is, I think, the the general perspective of, you know, just sort of education about that, you know, in yeah. school. You don't get the into... The U.S. had slavery, and it was bad, so they abolished it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you never get, you it, never yeah. get into, into some of these details. You get into the, you know, the, the economics of things. You get into the sociology, generally speaking, of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how people, uh, how slaves were treated, um, you know, three-fifths compromise, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And, uh, but I, I got to thinking, you know, when, when you when you talk about like your, your education and, and, and history and stuff, it really is sort of like a Mr. Fields kind of um, museum exhibit where, yeah. you know, you get these, these generalities of, of what's going on and you never get into the, the brutality that you see on, you know, Randall's farm, right? You, yeah. you don't, you don't get the, uh, the image of, of Cora being dragged out back behind the smokehouse or whatever and, and gang raped or, uh, you know, getting hit in the head, uh, you know, trying to trying to save somebody else, or uh, at the end, uh, was it Lovey that was strung up with the meat hook for days under the under the tree as her punishment for for running away? Oh yeah. Um, and uh, and Ridgeway's uh, recitation of of seeing her like twitching and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that sort of stuff that it got me thinking. Like, what is what is our responsibility as a society when it comes to to explaining these these things? You know, like mm-hmm. I feel like when we when we approach the Holocaust, right? You know, a lot more details. I think about the Holocaust um, as far as you know, gas chambers and you know, uh, just the treatment of Jews in general well, and, think- and their in their abuse. But we don't really get into that that level of detail very frequently like in an education sense when we talk about slavery right because because we're tied to it i mean in a lot of ways yeah. again there's that degree of separation and things that happen outside of right but our country don't, historically don't we have don't we have a responsibility you're right to own I mean, to own our own yeah, history no and, absolutely and to understand I'm, I'm just trying to offer up what i think is a reasonable reason behind why people don't necessarily or why an education system doesn't necessarily get into that because it's, it's easier instead of having to deal with something to just sort of, we're going to cover the very bare minimum. We'll be very sort of, uh, obtuse about it. We'll just kind of like be a little bit distant about it. A little bit, little, little bit distant white gloves. It happened. It was bad. And then it ended. And, you know, we'll talk about, you know, you get a little bit about, you know, civil rights pops back up in the 60s and you hear about, yep. the, you know, the, the the bus riots or not riots, but, you know, you hear about MLK and you hear about all this stuff. And then it's, and, yep. Yeah. And then it's and then it's over. And then now it's like, you know, those yeah. are the two those are the two little nuggets that you get when you're, uh, I guess, you know, going through school and getting educated. And I don't know, at some point it becomes the question of, you know, whose responsibility is it to, to educate on a, on more of a in-depth level? And when do you do that? And, you know, I think when you get to college is when you start getting kind of courses that go into a little bit more detail about that, because you have a lot of specialty fields, but at that point, you know, still it's, I don't know, you're, you're already kind of taught to feel and think one way that, you know, for a lot of people, I feel like it's tough to, get out of that mindset, even when you're sort of presented with things that, that can pull you out of that and pull you into something that's a little bit more detailed. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I don't know. I I personally think that you know there there is power and in information and understanding, sure. right? And I think that you know we we definitely still have issues with equality and and race in this country, and I think that having you know read something like this, if having the underlying like human education that comes along with with reading something like this mm-hmm. that this is what you know slaves went through specifically not just slavery is bad i think that that in and of itself probably lends itself to a bit of of empathy and understanding and you know it certainly doesn't doesn't solve anything really um but I, I think I think it would go a long way to to try to understand somebody else's perspective sure. on you know their ancestry, right? No, absolutely. Um, what did I put on here? I I wrote down kind of a note just whenever it was talking because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of elements about memory in this book, and just I had read somewhere about the idea of kind of like a, a cultural or like a racial memory. And that's, I yeah. think, what we're kind of talking about here. Yeah. Less for us, racial, more cultural, um, because, you know, we live in America and we kind of have the that sort of memory. Um, but, yeah, I you know, it's tough because as a society, yeah, you want to say, okay, we want to we want to sort of investigate this and, and figure out these sorts of ways to to improve the way that we deal with things in the future or to improve the way that we deal with kind of the the ramifications the long-lasting ramifications of this yeah and you know as an individual i feel like it's a lot more simple right as an individual there are certain things that you can do personally as like a tenant just the way you treat people the way that you kind of respect other people you listen the way you operate as sort of like a you know non-horrible human being um <laughs> that should be everybody's goal by yeah. the way. Just don't don't be a shitty be a, person. Be a non-repugnant individual. Yeah. Um just have a shirt that says non-repugnant. <laughs> check mark by that's my goal. Um yeah, but you know, that only goes so far in in you know, compounding that up as a society that that you're the end goal obviously trying to be you know, equal opportunity, equal representation, equal rights, equal, you know, happiness, equal values, equal yeah. everything, protection, understanding, you know, all sorts of overarching goals within a society that's kind of hamstrung by um, adapting the idea from the individual to the society, or at least adapting those ideas in a way that like actually work to making that an end goal. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's that's the hardest part right there. And, uh, you know, I don't have any answers, obviously, because I don't <laughs> think any one individual person does have answers for that. I just think, uh, yeah, this is a book that you read. And like I said, it, it, it doesn't pull any punches. It does. No. It goes very it goes very much into all sorts of the, the gruesome elements, be it actual, you know, physical harm or, or whatnot, or, you know, kind of the subversive nature behind that sort of social system as well. Yeah. And, and build upon that, which I think was honestly the more interesting thing for me, if we're talking about, um, the different sort of states that she goes to in each yeah. of the kind of so let's, situations. Let's, let's talk about the different states. Let's get into the book, let's, the actual. Yeah. So one thing that's kind of referenced in here and uh, that's, I guess, just kind of tongue-in-cheek in here because the author, uh, in some of his interviews, he talks about how this book is, in a lot of ways, is like Gulliver's Travels. And we talked about this a little bit before the show. I've never seen Gulliver's Travels, or I've never read Gulliver's Travels. Actually, I probably have seen it. I think there was a made-for-TV movie back in the 90s or something that I saw. But <laughs> I know the gist of it is he's you know going to islands, and there's sort of different situations in each of them. And, uh, you know, it's referenced in this book by Caesar, who yeah. have, I forget who gave it to him. Um, but he had read it and, um, yeah, you know, you kind of get that feel that each state that she goes to, whether, you know, you start in Georgia and South Carolina, North Carolina, yep. uh, Tennessee and Indiana, that you kind of have this own like separate sort of isolated idea. And the yep. two that stood out to me the most, as far as just interesting, um, nuggets were North and South Carolina yes. and for obviously very different reasons. Cause they're kind of like the, the, they're kind of the opposite of each other as far as 
the approach to escape slaves or slavery or things like that. Like you have South Carolina, which is essentially like we kind of want to encourage this and and be like a ward state, encourage them to come in and you'll work here for us. You're not slaves anymore, but you'll work and and we'll take care of you. Right. It's like secretly kind of this like subversive white control. You have the the sort of nod or not really nod pretty much on the nose of, you know, like the Tuskegee (laughs) experiments. But, you know, back in that time and eugenics and just sort of this own kind of glazing over with the the sort of living museum right and then you kind of juxtapose that with north carolina where it's just very much more of kind of a fascist system where yep. it's you know we've outlawed this if you're caught with them you know you're going to be punished they're going to be punished you have people sort of you know, ratting on their neighbors, you get a big feel of kind of like, and he even described it, I think in one of his interviews where you kind of get like the very like Nazi Germany or like other sort of like, like socialist Soviet countries where you kind of had that distrust of your neighbor because it's, you know, if you were ever in trouble, it's like, well, they're doing this, you know, to, you try to rat out on your neighbor to avoid maybe your own punishments or to try to advance. And you see a little bit of that in Indiana too. Yeah, um, you do. But yeah, of those of all the states, which do you think was kind of the most interesting to you and why? Because I think North Carolina and South Carolina are both kind of really close for me. Yeah, you know, I thought that uh that South Carolina um was was the most interesting just because I think that <laughs> there are, you know, sort of per our previous discussion, um sort of elements of current society still, you know, in in some of that. Yeah. Um and uh you know, so when I read into the the South Carolina stuff, it's like, well, fuck, like some of this stuff, you know, we still we still do. We just, you know, pay lip service to sure. to some of these things. Or, um, but the one thing that that struck me with with South Carolina um, is that like, I don't I don't know why I do this, and I don't know I don't know if you did this at all, but I'm always kind of like a hopeful reader when it comes to things. So like I'm rooting for Cora. Um, and yeah. and Lovey and Caesar as they're escaping, right? And then Lovey gets captured uh, early on, and that's sort of the first time that like your hope is like subverted, right? Yeah. And but not that big of a deal, like in the in the scheme of things, because you're like, all right, well, Cora's still out, and you know they're they're still you know making it. They yeah. you know make it on the railroad. They get to South Carolina. All of a sudden, it's sort of this like utopian thing, and then layer by layer, you know. I guess it really kind of starts at the doctor's office when, you know, it becomes evident that, you know, they're they're trying to force people into the procedure that all of this sort of, you know, gets peeled back and you realize what it's it's all about. Yeah. And I feel like there there's there is a reoccurring um like theme throughout the book of like sort of, you know, hopefulness and safety and then all of a sudden that's just ripped out in like a horrifying way and South Carolina was was until Ridgeway showed up was a very sort of slow burn in that regard Mm -hmm. but you know it it, to me almost felt more dangerous than being chased by a a slave catcher sure Um, just just in its sort of like you know here's sugar laced arsenic you know it's just Ah, uh, that that th- or arsenic laid, laced sugar. I don't know. Be like, here's some sugar. La- here's yeah, some arsenic. Oh, know. does this have sugar in it? I don't oh, know. you got me. I don't, I don't. I don't know how you how you poison your sugar, but you're good. Uh, you're good. Yeah. You're good. I. But yeah, I just that to me was, was no, the absolutely. Most part. Yeah, it's it's more of you know kind of the devil you know versus the devil you don't, right? That right unsettling situation of kind of calm, but behind the surface or beyond, you know. Yeah, beyond there's that uh, all of all of the all of the evil, all of the, you know, animosity, all of that still exists. Yep. It's just done in a much more, I guess, pleasant way. Sure. Since that's like, you know, with the doctor and just, well, you know, we're we're providing here and right. you know, I'm doing these medical experiments and, you know, oh, we'll give you agency. You know, if you want to be sterilized, we'll give you agency so you don't have to worry about, you know, like just burden, the burden of having a kid right. or, you know, right. any of this other stuff. It's just this like thinly veiled similar feeling of of control and power. And well, in the manipulation. Not, yeah. Like and, Miss and, Lucy saying like, you know, 
hey, I, you know, you're you're a leader. You know, I thought you had like, you know, the potential trying to get her to like work on, you know, her her other housemates to try to get them to have the procedure. And yeah. just like the, the utilization or the weaponization of like psychology and like, sure. you know, positive like compliments. And uh, it was just it was disgusting. To, yeah. Like, see I mean, that. once yeah. you see it, it's you know, you don't they they didn't have everyone physically in chains in South Carolina, but the the restraints kind of remained through not maybe mental conditioning, but something sort of similar to that idea yeah. of, you know, oh well we're we'll we'll kind of control you know, having having slaves is very dirty. It's very messy, you know, it makes us feel bad. So we'll go the route of more of, of a nuanced sort of mental and societal control instead yeah. of just a direct control and yeah you know that's a little tongue-in-cheek a little bit on the nose a little bit of that sort of idea that permeates throughout here and and you you feel that a lot in current issues today sure just the idea of you know society's effect on people through mental conditioning and through just sort of the idea of what people are supposed to do and, and yeah and how much that has an effect on what they end up doing and, and, and whether or not people actually get the same degree of, um, you know, ability or, or how they, the, the ability to like move forward in their own interests and, and yeah. their own advancements and how they're kind of steered along that sort of path differs from person to person, from ethnicity to ethnicity, from, you know, uh, income bracket to income bracket from neighborhood to neighborhood. Right. And yep. so that's, I think a very, again, you know, a little bit more poignant than something like North Carolina, which is more just, you know, an overt sort of fascist state. Um, but sure. at the same time, it was kind of weird, the whole the whole dichotomy of the park where you have... Yes, I wanted to talk about that. Well, go, let's do it. So I, I found it really, really unsettling the way that, you know, Cora sort of started out, you know, just observing everything. And it's sort of yeah. this beautiful, serene place. You know, she gets the movement of, of the people as... She's walking around or she's watching them walk around. And then Friday night comes around for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, she witnesses this, you know, public lynching. Like, you know, the the thing that that really jarred me about North Carolina was sort of the all in like communal like enjoyment of. Yeah. Of everything. And I think for the first time, it's really well represented um the sort of breadth of the societal like you know oppression that yeah. that black people were under at that point in time like it that's the first time you really see like a collective of people um a, an entire community come together and say they are not people they refer to them by the like it pronoun right mm -hmm. don't use he she don't even use names uh you know, so th I mean, that's that was really unsettling. Yeah, know, just and her observing that through the through the attic. Yeah, and you couple that with kind of the the dynamic with Ethel when you get the the background on Ethel and kind of her like deeply religious beliefs, and she yeah. wanted to go, you know, be in ministries in Africa, and I guess kind of bring the savages, as she said, sort of to 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 light, and then her yeah. kind of interactions with Cora. You know, you do kind of get that whole just more more dehumanizing element, like not quite in yeah. the same way as South Carolina. You know, South Carolina is more subversive and they're more, I guess, clean about it. Whereas in North Carolina, they're just like, you were not you were not worthy of this or you were yep. not, you know, uh, you were not even on the same level of, of human existence because, you know, they outlawed slavery. And so they right. have indentured servitude from. Irish immigrants or other immigrants in there too. And it's just, I don't know. It's South Carolina was more unsettling by the time you get to North Carolina. It just seems, uh, strange, but not, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's easier for me to sort of like separate the idea of just, you have this and, and not saying that this didn't exist or does not exist. Cause in some people's minds, it does a hundred percent. The, the idea of just a complete another, you know, superiority or separation or just sort of uh, that gap. It, it obviously does exist in people's minds and it did exist uh, societally. And in some fringes, I'm sure it still does exist societally. Although I feel like as a whole, 
at least there have been, you know, strides made past that extreme in the last, you know, yeah, 160 years, or I would hope. So the South Carolina one was more unsettling to me in a sense of like, yeah, you see this sort of approach and attitude in a lot of ways. Yeah. Commonly done, even just to this day. Whereas the North Carolina one, it's, you know, as a society, I, I suppose that we've made it to the point where we frown upon, you know, weekly public lynchings. But yeah, so that, you know, yeah, that was a little bit more of a you could separate kind of that. And and it, it got me thinking a little bit less about just sort of where I am and where we are now. Yeah. The, the thing that I also thought was interesting about North Carolina was that uh, Martin and Ethel. Yeah sort of being the reluctant helpers yeah. is probably a, a more honest depiction of, you know, actual, you know, white people that abolitionists during. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, where you sort of are caught in the middle. You don't necessarily want to be, you know, in the situation that you're in, but, you know, you can't escape it, especially Ethel, you know, who yeah. until the end really doesn't accept, you know, the situation that she's in with having Cora in her house. Um, you know, and and then obviously their their punishment at the end is is the first time I think that we see um, you know sort of the the reaction of um, the white community against one of their own for being a part of yeah. you know, the the underground railroad or even just being a sympathizer uh, in any way shape or form. So, and after North Carolina, we go to Tennessee. Tennessee. Which is, but real quick before yeah, we, sorry. real quick before we leave North Carolina, I wanted to talk about kind of that. You know, we already kind of have the juxtaposition of South Carolina and North Carolina and their approaches. Then when we get to North Carolina, we kind of have that encounter between Cora and uh, Ethel, yeah, over the the Bible and the almanac, and mm-hmm. just the idea of she kind of thinks on it a bit that you have like all three elements, whether it's you know the the slave owners, the slave catchers, and the slaves themselves, that all kind of like prescribe to that sort of Christian uh, doctrine, or at least they prescribed the Bible, and it was, yeah. I don't know, it's just that that kind of like odd uh, dynamic that you have three sort of groups that are all, I, I don't know, in different ways. Um, and I can't remember if it was South Carolina or North Carolina. No, it wasn't North Carolina. It was South Carolina. She didn't go to church, and that right. was one of the reasons why she was able to kind of escape and be free of you know the riots or whenever yep. um they had had the the slave catchers in town and so i don't know what are your what were your thoughts on that because I, I i definitely get the idea here of you know you have one group that you know in this in this instance a lot with ethel it's you know kind of the bible as being the truth and, yeah and using that as kind of uh justification for whatever it is they're doing and then you you know you have cora with the almanac that yep. she loves that you know, in a more literal sense is, you know, the truth from a, an agricultural or just sort of a prediction standpoint. Or yeah. Well, for, first of all, before I, before I get in too far into that, I, I just want to say how much I appreciated Whitehead's ability to pack so many elements of like the, the culture and all of that into this book. And I think, yeah, I think using the the Bible verses and in very small ways throughout is a very clear reminder of, you know, the religious justification of slavery. Absolutely. And that is that is a huge thing um, because, you know, it's it, it's been it's been wielded in American history. Well, shit. I mean, European history, too, uh, for centuries. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I think he bakes all kinds of little things into this book. Um, and, and that's, that's one that, that I think is, is interesting, but, um, the, the, I'm, I'm an atheist. I mean, it's just, let's call a spade a spade. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting to me, um, to watch, you know, people try to use religion to justify, you know, bad actions against, against other people. And I should say that, like, I, I grew up going to, like, Christian schools and went to church every Sunday uh, from the time that I was in grade school all the yeah. way up until college. And, you know, so, like, my uh, decision and, and education to, to, to sort of, you know, decide that, that that's not how I believe that, that you know, things, things work 
um, is a relatively new thing for me. Um, so I do have this like this massive like religious background um, and understanding. And it's so it was so interesting to to be reminded of the way that that, you know, historically we use religious texts to justify things. And even still, less so seems like these days we use text to justify actions so much as just the overarching like righteousness of things whether it's sure. you know ab abortion right um like uh those those sort of subjects how we continue to to use or misuse religious texts um to justify you know potentially bad actions or you know maybe just actions that uh are unsympathetic uh to other people in in some way but um i did like that that cora you know was not interested in the the theoretical the spiritual she wanted the you know her hands in the dirt you know the the things that she, that she grew up understanding right yeah. like that's that's where she was drawn and i think there's commentary there too that you know that tends to be our natural proclivity as human beings to be attracted to the things that we you know grew up with or or understand the most um and personally i think you know i i think that you know she's better served by not um sort of falling victim to that religious mentality and i mean th yeah. there were there were people who um african-american slaves and, and 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 that understood that slavery or thought i should say that slavery was justified in the bible and mm -hmm. you know that i mean those those people did exist and part of that was was utilization of of religion um any rate what what did what did you think about about those texts i mean yeah no I, it was the obvious sort of um i guess like moral debate yeah uh, as far as because really there's no moral justification for slavery no like in and of itself um and you know, trying to trying to find some sort of actual moral justification for it would seem foolish because there is none. So you need something else as a justifier for it. And you know, if you have something as sacred or, or seemingly as incontestable as as one's religious belief or one's religious following, then that is all the justification you need. You don't necessarily have to look at something based on its merits as long as it's, I guess, sort of ordained to be righteous or good or you know upstanding depending upon whatever you sort of prescribe to i'm in a similar vein to you i i didn't necessarily grow up uh like super religious um you know i i, I went to church and i i learned about a whole lot of things within yeah. sort of the the christian doctrine of faith but i'd never really considered myself like overly religious my mom never was super religious so you know it was never uh it was never prescribed to me in, in that you know strong of a way and yeah. so because of that i feel like i've kind of grown up with a um a sort of respect for the idea of religion and sort of the the benefit that i see in people and having i think that any opportunity for people to have sort of a communal support network based on people that have uh shared beliefs whether it's sure. religious or otherwise i sure. think that's that is fundamentally the most important thing in human experience right yep. is to have a support network of people that share ideas and share beliefs and, and genuinely care about you. And I think yep. that religion is in a fantastic place for that for 90% of the people that, right. that seek it out. You know, a lot of people that I know that have, that are, you know, very religious, like obviously they're spiritual in a sense of they believe in their faith, but I feel like they will even concede that the majority of the benefit they receive from that is like, you know, the people that they know, the people that they work with at church, the people that they, I guess, you know, mentor or you know their parents have been there so they just have seen them grow up and they, right they have right. all this sort of support network of people and i think that's great um but the element of finding something i guess incontestable to justify whatever it is that you want because you feel like you're immune to criticism because xyz is right in 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 line with my religious beliefs and you know we live in a society with religious freedom then that's, you know, that's obviously the murkier element that I don't like at all. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, you get a lot of that. You know, again, the whole justification for the the moral element of, of slavery, you know, comes deeply from religious backgrounds. I mean, that's not right. something that you can avoid or, or sort of gloss over. You know, a large portion of that was, well, 
you know, I'm ordained by God that I can do this. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I do like the, the sort of competing mindset in there. And, you know, you get with Cora the whole, you know, throughout the whole book when she's learning to read and learning to write. And when she gets to Valentine's and is just like super interested in, you know, whenever uh, she gets her own almanac and all these other things, like she's very grounded in the things that, you know, she's, I guess, interested in. And um, even just, even just as a character, wherever she's going, it's very, she's has a very pragmatic approach, I guess, to everything that, that she's doing and does. And, and so, yeah, I, I I do like that. I, I do like the whole, the idea, you know, the hands in the dirt and it's, it's more, you know, an almanac kind of symbolizes a more like agrarian or agricultural truth, sure. but that can be sort of extracted from that and taken as just an overall idea of just factual knowledge. Right. But to be fair, the almanac is, uh, it is predictive. It is right? predictive. So, I mean, it's, it's not totally unlike a religious sure. text. It's just that it's specificity and utilization is much more uh apparent right yeah. you're not going to read into you know winter is going to be cold this year um in the way that you you might read into a specific uh, specific wow specific nice word uh specific bible verse sure combine specific and bible to get specific i like it um so you know i think i think that is that is a difference but we're starting to run out of time. Well, how so, much, real quick, yes. while we're still in the almanac, how much do you think of that played in with uh, Ajari's garden and sort of that idea that she had kind of of like carving out your own little slice of freedom even within there and and the elements in that? Because, you know, yeah. I, I thought that, I, like, I could see an obvious tie in there. I don't think it was necessarily like, this is the connection. She, she likes the almanac because she remembers, you know, this garden. Uh, but a lot of it, you know, Cora, the, her, her struggles are kind of her, her guide throughout her journey is, is, you know, finding out what happened to her mother. And, you know, she has that connection with the garden with her mother and that connection with her grandmother. And yeah, it was, it was there for me, at least I I I felt like it was there. I hadn't considered that tie to be honest. Um, but I I think it makes, it does make sense. Um, right. That she defended that garden, took the hatchet to what's his face's doghouse that, you know, he, he built up there, um, you know, so yeah, I, th- I think it, it is symbolic and understanding of, you know, not only her, her little plot that she had, but again, going back to just her work on the plantation, that's what she knows, right, yeah. is, is using her hands and, you know, growing and, and caring for, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So, yeah. um, all right, so we have to, we still have to talk about, Tennessee farm. So we got through Tennessee, Tennessee's burning. A lot of the fire, it seemed like in this book was kind of just, uh, you know, the, the house was on fire whenever she was in South Carolina to leave. And it's just kind of, you know, eventually with Valentine, the library, it's just kind of the, I guess like overall destructive force, you know, she's going through Tennessee. She's been recaptured. She thinks she's back and, or she's going to be taken back to be beaten, killed, brutalized, whatever, even worse. And so you're traveling through Tennessee and it's kind of just this whole element to that. We don't really get yeah. a whole lot outside of, you know, at the end, um, you know, when she gets sort of recaptured and taken to Indiana at Valentine's Farm, which I'm guessing is what you want to talk about. Yeah. I Again, so, you know, I t- talked about sort of this this idea of, um, you know, sort of getting to safety and then, you know, having everything subverted and, you know, the massacre yeah. that that ends up, you know, on, at, at the farm at the end there um, is shouldn't be unexpected, you know, based on everything else that's that's been going on. That's happened in the book. Yeah. it's. Yeah. I mean, again, like you said, it's it's a constant wave of you feel somewhat safe. And that's that's the moment when everything just kind of falls out from underneath you in various ways. And I, I, I got to thinking at that point um, is is anywhere safe. Is is the is the thing that I found myself is the north is the west is Canada is Canada I don't know I don't think so from it I don't think anything anywhere is entirely safe from uh, the influence of uh, that kind of society yeah or or that those sort of like you know whether or not it's oh well I go to Canada and I'm not you know I'm not enslaved here or I go out west and there's no official slavery here right but those elements and and sort of the things that are left behind from that obviously you know exist and will 
exist. And so, no, I don't think that there's anywhere that's totally and completely safe where you just get to go and, you know, start your life and right. you know, be un, unfettered by uh, anything from the past or any issues that are currently ongoing. I, it struck me after, after finishing the book, you, you know, the Underground Railroad is, you know, a, a way to move away from a, a physical place, right? Yeah. To, to move further away. And in our minds and in Cora's mind, the further north, you know, you are, it means the safer you are. And, you know, different places, you know, offer more safety than, than Randall. But what we really end up seeing is the, there's no way to escape to travel away from the time that you're in. Yeah. And Cora is, is in a time that no matter where she goes, ostensibly, she's going to encounter some different horrific aspect of being a race that is not in control of, of society and that is just is, that is being abused by, you know, the controlling power. And yeah, yeah I, I kind of came the, the big thought that I had about this book was. Well, shit, like nobody's safe. No, nothing. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether I mean, you're even, a Freeman getting kidnapped from from the north. Yeah. You're biracial, um, you know, and, and an educated person giving, you know, speeches. You're just as liable as the slave woman, you know, who who murdered somebody yeah. uh, to be caught up in a massacre, um, you know, if, to, to, to be raped and killed or, you know, whatever the, the punishment is. Yeah. It is it is all equal under this this time. That we're sure. In. And even the way the book ends, I mean, it's you know, you could say it's a good ending in a sense that she gets away from you know uh she gets away from ridgeway yeah and is at least kind of onward in a caravan westward but everything that we've been you know experiencing up until this point is that something probably similar as far as uh those effects will occur to her out there so it truly isn't you know a good ending it's it's you could see this book continuing onward and and just you know kind of the the, the downfalls of each new place that she goes continuing to manifest in, in new and unfortunate ways. And so, yeah, I, you know, to the same extent, it's like you can't sort of escape the time that you're in. Yeah. Now, real quick, just two little two little tidbits. How did okay. you feel about the uh, the slave ads at the beginning of uh, chapters? Those little nuggets that were kind of inter- interspersed there with the final one being at the the end yeah. Of her. I, th- I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't think it really lent itself much to the to the reading. But, okay. you know, as just sort of a historical snippet. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought it was kind of I don't want to say fun, but like I always find things like that. Like if, if you go uh, pick up an old newspaper, like uh, when my grandmother passed away, I had to go through her safe deposit box. She had yeah. uh, newspapers from JFK was shot. And OK, like. That those are neat, but what I immediately went to is I went and looked at like the ads uh, that were in there, you know, the advertisements and and the the other stories, because sometimes you know you, you kind of miss out on on some of the like the smaller the details of things like that. Of, yeah, of the time again of the time. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was interesting. And Do you then, have a thought about it? No, I I mean I thought they were I thought the kind of build up of them to the very end when yeah. with the kind of payoff for Cora's I thought was good as just another, because again, we didn't talk. I mean, we didn't even talk. Unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to pay lip service to a lot of stuff in yeah. time, but you know, we didn't even talk about sort of the, the timeline elements of this book where we get a lot of the jumping back and forth and we get oh, a lot yeah. of the thoughts previously. And then we kind of have multiple things building, you know, even at the end when we finally get Mabel's story yep. of everything, you know, we, we kind of have these, these two separate, stories sort of building and then yep. i think that the the ads were like another additional little element to that that i thought was really well done in this book even beyond just the subject matter just the pacing of it and the way that you mixed in kind of the backstories and the timing of the characters that we went into i thought it was amazing i thought yep. it, i thought it added an extraordinary level of like readability to the book because you know you do get elements that sometimes it's like all right let's take a break let's go back and do this all right let's get back into it all right let's go back and look at this character. let's get back into it yeah and so yeah i thought from a from a standpoint of adding that little additional lining throughout the story i thought they did really well for that for me at least well and then i i thought there were a lot of like little tidbits in this book little quotables and stuff i mean even the concept of uh 
the one of the station masters saying, yeah, you know, when you're on the train, look out and you'll see America. And what is what does that mean? Like everything was dark in the tunnels, right? Yeah. So is that you know an ominous like you know thing? Does it maybe imply that you know that that black people are the foundation? I mean, if of of America, um, that you know it's the the act of helping one another, you know, try to try to better themselves. Is that America? Like there's, there's little things like that, that, that I had, uh, I had down that we're just unfortunately not going to be able to get to, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I think there's, there's a ton of stuff to unpack in this book. Oh, absolutely. Um, should we get to our ratings? Let's get to the ratings. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, I will go first. I feel like, I feel like you went first last time. Okay. Uh, top shelf for me. Yeah. Um, I think this is uh, this is a book that I would I would absolutely love to read again. I think that uh, it's a book that I would put in front of everybody, um, especially people who maybe wouldn't be inclined to read, you know, a book of this nature and just say, you know, give it a try. Like, you know, I I think that um, the style in which he writes is is approachable and enjoyable um, the way that he structured the novel makes it easy to to digest and, you know, just sort of has this this constant sort of almost like a railroad just sort of churn forward. Um, and uh, I think it is it is visceral and uh, it, it's educational. Uh, it made me feel a lot of things good, good and bad, mostly bad. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, I think it's super important. And I'm, I, I loved it. Cool. Yeah, I'm also going to put it on top shelf. Uh, and again, my criteria that I usually go about with fiction, um, I enjoyed a lot of the writing in here. I thought, like I just said before, I thought the different elements of the sort of uh, past histories and, and current events in there and storytelling and the little snippets, I, I think just made for a very um, enjoyable narrative. Uh, it's a book that I would recommend, maybe not, to everybody because I know some people might be a little bit taken aback by like you said the visceral nature yeah. of it. because again this book doesn't pull any punches no um, but I, I, I do think it's uncomfortable f- or I do think it's important for people to read things or at least seek out things that are uncomfortable so there's a lot of people that I would put this in front of agreed it's certainly something that I think you know we don't have enough time in one episode to really de- digest everything in here so it's something it's something I could go back and and certainly uh deconstruct on my own give it a give it another go over so yeah top shelf for me i mean not that it needs our seal of approval it's got the fucking pulitzers so. yeah yeah but uh double top shelf so really good choice appreciate that thank you yeah i, I was uh another one that question my, yes though, are yes. you so you're so again the whole background behind this was he was going to be at a conference that you're attending in yes in march he's giving a keynote or something yeah he's, he's, he's the that? keynote yeah are you gonna try to get him to sign your book? Are you gonna go? It's probably not that sort of engagement, huh? Uh, no. I mean, there are probably, I would assume, tens of thousands of people gonna be there. Fair but enough. If I have the opportunity, why the, why the hell not? Yeah. Uh, Put him onto the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, funny. Hey, funny you should story. listen to this podcast. Funny, funny story about uh, book signing. Real quick, before we get into to our next book. Uh, I went to Recycled Books up in Denton, which uh, is is my favorite favorite bookstore. It's kind of yeah. hit or miss um, for if you're looking for something specific, but it's just fun to like wander just around go up there and see what they got. Yeah, so I was looking at uh, Stuart Onan, uh, his his stuff, and uh, I'd read uh, somebody. Well, one of my professors in college lent me Last Night at the Lobster. Um, which is it's it's about uh, I remember talking about that yeah, yeah, yeah. whenever so, we were doing uh, Night Country yeah so so they had a they had a copy there and uh, I bought it and uh, got home realized it was a signed copy oh wow and I was like all right this is this is awesome silver lining yeah so that was that was exciting it was my that was my book victory last night I was I was pretty pleased with myself nice. um, all right next book your next turn. book is my pick so I'm gonna do something similar uh, to whenever we read Gentleman in Moscow and then followed it up with Heart of a Dog. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure even in our last episode when we were recording and talking about kind of this book and, and maybe relating it to another book, I, I think I even mentioned Toni Morrison yeah. previous in the episode, but the next book we're going to read is, uh, it's beloved by Toni Morrison, another Pulitzer prize winner. Although this one I believe was in 88. Yeah, that sounds it was right. 87 or 88, yeah. but, uh, Toni Morrison, Nobel prize winner in literature, 
So again, dealing with with slavery and the effects in the South during you know Civil War era. So I figured if there's any time that we're gonna jump into that book, now's a good time. Yeah, because we're kind of already in that uh, that sort of mindset. Yep. You know, I think there's gonna be a lot of tieover between these two stories, or I would assume there's gonna be a lot of things that we can draw. Yep. Um, and so yeah, I think it's gonna be a really good book to follow this one up with. Uh, back-to-back Pulitzer winners. Yes. So this will probably be, I mean, this is our most, I guess, awarded or accomplished flip we got here episode to episode. I can't think of a previous two no. books back-to-back that would have been this uh, heralded or awarded. So yeah, yeah, we're going to do Beloved by Toni Morrison next. So we're just staying with it. We're yep. just, just going to stick with it for another episode. Um, but it's going to be good. Yeah. So the the plan for February, if if you, if you, don't pay attention to anything. February is Black History Month yeah. here in the United States. So the the working plan is that, you know, we're going to we're going to look at African-American writers um, and hopefully, you know, obviously slavery is is a is a big portion yeah, but not of just of slavery. That. Yeah. So it just so happened that it was like, well, I kind of want to get around to this book. And now is like a perfect time to just yeah. segue right into it. So. So we're going to we're going to work on I don't have my book after that and we don't have the one after that but the idea is that is that we're going to stay on the the African American writers theme um but we will depart from you know the slavery stuff yeah. um you know there obviously that is a big part of of um you know that just the experience of of being yeah. African American I mean and, I'm already Sorry, uh, the episode after yours, I'm already thinking, like, I'm, I'm interested in maybe getting, like, Langston Hughes in there and yeah. seeing what we can do with that. Because I know, like, even if it's just poetry, even if it's something, like, interesting, because I know he has some, like, poetry collections, yep. too, that might be interesting to get into, because we've never done that on the show. No, we haven't. So, yeah, we're, we're going to come up with some different stuff. Don't worry, it's not all going to be slavery. We <laughs> do have uh, a bigger understanding of uh, sure. of black literature than yeah. uh, than that, but uh, we are going to stay on it for, for one more episode. I'm excited. I've never read Toni Morrison. Me neither. Um, so highly, I'm, highly, uh, highly acclaimed. My sister also another book that I have by her, The Bluest Eye. Is yeah, another one I saw that yesterday at the bookstore. Very highly recommended by okay. my sister. But we're gonna do Beloved because it's the Pulitzer it, winner, it and is. because it it feels like such a good follow up to this book as far as like staying in that in that realm for another episode. It'll be good. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, please check us out on, uh, on Twitter. We're going to try to keep our uh, book recommendations a bit more up to speed on there than you'd hear in the podcast. So keep an eye on our, our pin tweet at better bookshelf. Uh, you can also find us at betterthebookshelf.com. right now. It just resolves to the, uh, the SoundCloud page. So we're gonna work on figuring out what to do with that. Coming soon. We have devious. We have evil the dot James Bond villain fingers. Yes. So find us on the interwebs. Uh, feel free to tweet at us if you have book recommendations too. Um, we haven't gotten any of those in in a good while. Um, always always open to having a, a conversation with uh, with you guys about that. But thank you for listening. Next episode, Tony Morrison's beloved. And until next time. Mm-hmm.